It was April 9th, 1998, when my girlfriend then at the time, Kelly Beckham, walked out of this building on her way to go to a doctoral seminar, a PhD seminar. And while she was getting ready and walking over that way, her best friend and roommate at seminary, Lauren, pulled up next to her at a car and say, hey, Kelly, you're actually not going to go on uh, this whole like PhD seminar thing. You're going to go on a special scavenger hunt that your boyfriend has put on for you. And Kelly is a very serious student. And she's like, tell Rich, I'm going to do that some other time. I'm going to my doctoral class. And Lauren, who's like the most even keeled person in the world, was like, Kelly, get in the car right now. <laughs> Kelly had never seen a friend act that direct. And so she threw her book bag in the back of the car and decided to go for a ride. Well, it was a lovely day in April in New Jersey. It was a spring day where the high was like 33 and it was raining. And so Kelly started on this scavenger hunt that I had elaborately put together for her. And it visited some of the great places where we had known one another as we were dating. And so we went to Palmer Square and there was a clothing shop that had these really nice professional clothes that Kelly couldn't afford as a graduate student. And every time she went to one of these places, there was a note, a gift, and a prayer. And in that note, we talked about kind of our future together and her future career and vocation and dreams. And then she went to another place. She went to this coffee shop. This is where we would sit next to each other at a small table and romantically memorize Greek and Hebrew verbs together. <laughs> it was such a great time. And then there was the ice cream store where we would reward ourselves. You could put a dollar bill in the back pocket of your jeans in order to be able to go and reward yourself when you were done with an evening's worth of studying. And in each of these different places, there was a little gift and a little reminder of how much we have had a chance to grow closer to one another and to love one another. One of the next stops was in the scavenger hunt to the wine store, and there was, when Kelly got there, a very nice bottle of French Bordeaux. And then there was a note that she opened that told her where we were eating that night, and it was in that moment that Kelly realized this was not just a playful scavenger hunt. Something big was about to happen, and apparently, she turned as white as a ghost, and the guy behind the counter was like, Mademoiselle, are you okay? And she wasn't sure, actually. <laughs> One of the other stops there on the scavenger hunt was to a payphone where her good friend from college called her, and, uh, and uh, this was back in the day before cell phones, and so the cell, <laughs> I guess it just kept ringing until Kelly picked it up and uh, answered the phone, and they cried together over the phone, and that was about friendship, sending her to this place, which is the Princeton University Chapel. I considered this as a future pastor kind of like a home court advantage. I figured that here uh, I had God on my side, to do what I was about to do. And so the back doors of the church open up. Kelly is standing there absolutely freezing, shivering, totally cold and wet from head to toe. And she starts making her way down the center aisle. And I walk towards her. And the first thing that she said to me was, what on earth are you doing? Which was not the encouragement that I was looking for. 
in that moment. And I had a very elaborate speech prepared with, you know, persuasive appeals and scripture and all kinds, anything I can use at this point. And I knew that this was a cut to the chase moment. So I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me. She said, maybe. No, that's not really what she said. She said, yes. But in that moment, that was one of the biggest invitations that I had ever given out. I was totally vulnerable in that moment, totally exposed. And for her, that was one of the biggest invitations that she had ever received. She is totally vulnerable and exposed in that moment. But when you think about it, when you think about a relationship, a relationship is not just the high water mark of like a marriage proposal, that there were thousands of little invitations all along the way. In fact, the scavenger hunt was actually kind of a blueprint for our relationship for the way that there were these constant little invitations all along the journey. The first invitation that I ever gave to Kelly was to help her to unload her car, to help her to move her stuff, to which she said no. And then the second invitation was, do you want to go for a run around Lake Carnegie, to which she said yes, and she's been regretting that decision ever since. (laughs) Life is a series of invitations, some of them big, most of them small, but every little invitation is actually an option for connection. There's a a great marriage therapist and researcher by the name of John Gottman, and he has done watershed research on relationships. And one of the things that he refers to these little invitations as bids for connection. And the way that he describes them is that in all of our different interactions, there are these little opportunities that open up before us. He says it can be a glance, it can be a look, it can be a gesture, it can be in the form of a question. But when you're in a relationship with somebody, it can be as simple as, hey, look at this stupid cat video on Facebook. There's all kinds of different invitations that are before us each and every day, some more significant than others. Well, what they've discovered in this research is that you can actually tell the vitality and the health of a relationship by how they respond to all these little invitations. In a healthy, vibrant marriage, you can have upwards of 82% of the time each of those little invitations is acknowledged and received. In an unhealthy relationship, and they've actually videotaped couples so that you can see this, you can have it as low as 19% of the time that you actually regard one of these small invitations. In other words, there's a huge chasm in a relationship that tells you whether or not a relationship is vital based on how they respond to each of these little invitations that we send out each and every single day. The other thing that they discovered was that when you're in a good relationship, you have almost double the number of invitations as compared to a struggling relationship. So don't miss this. When you're in a good relationship, the the invitations beget more invitations and you're more likely to respond to those invitations. That is the clearest indication science can give us to the vitality of a marriage. 
John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, in relationships that move towards intimacy, invitations are most often skillfully and playfully issued and honestly and joyfully received. Each connection is like a deposit into an emotional bank account. When invitations are not recognized or embraced, the relationships tend to die. Clearest indication to a healthier relationship, how many invitations and how you receive them. And any invitation that you get, there are three different ways you can respond. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can ignore it. And how you respond to that invitation will often determine the future of your life. I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're actually going to be looking at that last verse in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 25. And we are continuing in our series that's called Getting Close. We're talking about intimacy. We're talking about these, shared, these kind of shared experiences that tend towards meaningful connections. And as we're going through this series, we're talking about the book of Genesis. We're looking at foundational texts through the prism of relationships and exploring these ancient, beautiful, godly texts that tell us about, the weir- about kind of the way that we're wired, about the way that God has created us to be. And so last week, we talked about being hatched to attach, that you and I were made for community, that we were designed for fellowship, that we were created for friendship and companionship, that that's how we were designed to be. And then This week, we're talking about what does it mean to invite connections? And there's no way to extend an invitation or receive an invitation without being vulnerable. In the future of this series, we'll talk about destroying connections, deepening connections, and we'll talk about repairing connections as well. Today, we're gonna be looking at the fall of humanity. And so let's begin In chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no what? No shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. God did not in fact say that. And so she is putting something that God didn't say on there. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do not miss that little phrase that says who was with her. Adam was with her the whole time. So there's responsibility for what's going on on both sides of the aisle here. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked And so I hid. 
The first little human community, the first set of relationships that we're ever privy to know about was described at the end of chapter two as being naked and unashamed. Now, I want you to consider that for a moment. Total vulnerability, total transparency, total openness, total honesty, holding absolutely nothing back. And yet at the same time, having complete sense of acceptance, worthiness, and belonging. That's something that we all long for, being able to be completely open and honest and vulnerable as well as accepted and worthy and known. That's the condition under which God has designed human relationships in which for them to flourish. When Adam first meets Eve, he says, wow, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And an Old Testament scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann says that that bone and flesh demonstrates the true nature of relationships, that you have both kind of, kind of bone, you have strength to relationships, as well as you have flesh, you have tenderness in relationships. And Andy Crouch goes as far as to say is the first couple of Genesis is a play back and forth between a kind of authority and vulnerability, that you have bone and flesh, strength and weakness all tied in together. And he says, when things went wrong in Genesis chapter three in the Garden of Eden, it was like this. Sin promises authority without vulnerability, but it always leads to vulnerability without authority. And so what happens in Genesis chapter three is best depicted for me in kind of a word picture here. There's a series of seven words that there was distrust and then there was distortion and distraction and discord. Then there was dismissiveness and disobedience and even disgrace. That what began as naked and unashamed started to come to the point where everything began to fall apart. And yet in the midst of all of that discord, disobedience, disgrace, all of that, this is when God enters into the scene and he's walking as it's described for us in the cool of the evening of the garden. And he's walking around and saying, where are you? This is the first question of the Bible. First couple of chapters of the Bible, almost all about commands. And God said it and it was so, and God said it and it was so. And now we get to this point where God actually asks a question. Now you have to ask yourself, wait, God's omniscient, right? Doesn't he know where they are? Of course he knows where they are. This isn't about God saying like, oh my gosh, my GPS locator is broken. I can't find them. I've got to track them. No, this is about God pursuing them and how you and I have an incredible need to be found, to reveal where we are and who we are. And so God is walking around in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? The question is in the form of the singular. In other words, every single one of us has to answer this question for ourselves. Where are you before God? The most highly grossing animated film of all time is this film with two little sisters, Anna and Elsa, who are the best of buds when they first kind of grow up. But then Elsa develops these powers that she doesn't know how to control and they can actually harm you. And so they begin to separate and begin to drift apart from one another. And then as this movie unfolds, there are these songs that get surgically implanted in your brain and you're like, make it stop. 
but it really is an absolutely beautifully orchestrated film. I'm actually going to show you a little scene from this movie. And when I do so, I actually want you to look at it not through the lens of entertainment. I want you to look at it through what we're talking about today in seeing this persistent little invitation that goes over and over and over again. It is a question that's leaning towards connection. Let's see if you notice it. Build a snowman. Come on, let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. We used to be best buddies, and now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? It doesn't have to be a snowman. Oh, wait, Anna. Okay, bye. The gloves will help. See? Conceal it. Don't feel it. Don't, Don't let it show. <laughs> Do you want to build a snowman? Or ride our bike around the halls? I think some company's overdue. I've started talking to the pictures on the wall. Hang in there, Joan. It gets a little lonely, all these empty rooms, just watching the hours tick by. I'm scared. It's getting stronger. Getting upset only makes it worse. Calm down. No, don't touch me. Please, I don't want to hurt you. Do you have to go? You'll be fine, Elsa. And I'm trying to I'm right out here for you Just let me in We only have each other It's just you and me What are we gonna do? Do you wanna build a snowman? Did you see the invitations over 
and over and over again, the little bids for connection. This is what God is doing in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? In Hebrew, it literally says, do you want to build a snowman? (laughs) It's that persistent question to open the door. The door is the primary image in the movie of opening the gates and it actually goes as far as to describe and define love as an open door. Complete transparency, complete honesty, complete vulnerability. And yet the way that Elsa handles the power, the authority that she's been giving is to conceal, to hide, to withdraw to pull back. This is no new tendency. Starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, when Adam and Eve now begin to hide. They try to conceal it, cover it up. And yet one of the more beautiful things that God does in the Genesis 3 passage, the little testimony of grace, is that Adam and Eve try to cover up with fig leaves, try to sew them together, which I'm guessing from a clothing standpoint didn't work out all so well. That you'll notice later on in verse 21 that God provides clothing for them, but don't miss the little detail that's oh so significant. The Lord God made garments of what? Of skin. You know what that means, right? that there was a sacrifice, that someone else, an animal, paid the price for them to be covered and protected. There are little invitations in life, and then there are big invitations in life, and God's saying, where are you, where are you, where are you? And then he covers them, he protects them. How will you respond to that invitation? In Japan in March of 2013, one of the worst blizzards that had ever hit the country blasted through that island. They had 10 feet of snow in like 24 to 48 hours, unprecedented like conditions, frigid wind chill, 70 mile an hour winds. Much of the country was caught off guard from this. There were many motorists that were stranded, and there was one man by the name of Miko Okada where he and his only daughter were traveling together. And as they were traveling together, the conditions were such that they could not take the car any further, and they didn't want to get buried in the car, and so they left the car, and they tried to make their way to some sort of sanctuary or shelter. But the whiteout condition, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know which direction was up. And when they couldn't go any further, Miku Okada took off his jacket and he put his daughter on the ground and he covered her in his jacket. And then he himself laid on top of her. When they found them hours later, Miku Okada had frozen to death. But his daughter was alive. because of his covering, because of his sacrifice. 
That's not just a little invitation. That's a big invitation. Little invitations you and I see every single day are the ripple effects of that love, that sacrifice. Every time the sun rises, every time a flower pops out of the ground, every breath that we take is a little invitation to connect. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then there's the big invitation, the invitation to be united, protected, cared for. And don't miss my favorite part of the end of the book of Genesis, that, or the end of the, this chapter in Genesis that I had never seen before, which was in the first couple of chapters and most of the way through chapter three, when it talks about the man and the woman. Um, Adam is named, but Eve is not. That they always just call her the woman. Eve is not named until after all of this at the end of Genesis chapter three. Eve is a name that means life. In other words, there's life on the other side of the distrust. There's life on the other side of the discord. There's life on the other side of the disobedience. There's life on the other side of disgrace. There is life to be found outside the garden that yes, even though many of our lives, many of our relationships, many of the invitations that we know we should accept that we have rejected, There's still life to be found out there if we will only listen and hear God continuing to knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. And if we will let him in, he will dwell with us and us with him. It's the greatest invitation of all. Any invitation you receive, you can do one of three things. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can ignore it. And right now in your own soul, in an honest estimation before God, when you think of those three things, what what do you tend to do with the invitations that God gives to you? Are you ignoring them? Are you rejecting them? Are you accepting them? Because the response that you give to those invitations They change the future of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for the relentless nature of your love. The question that you pose to us over and over and over again. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And in spite of our disobedience, our shame, our covering up, you never stop searching for us. Lord, I pray for the person here who is ignoring your call, doesn't see it as an invitation to connect, and so just keeps living life Will you capture their imagination and their attention, God? For the person who, in all honesty, rejects you, who doesn't believe in you and your promises, who thinks all of this is just a big animated fantasy show, will you, God, help them to hear your voice for the first time? 
I'm here, I'm real. And Lord, for those of us in relationship with you, help us to continue to accept, to hear your voice, to know of your will and your way, to receive your sacrifice, and to celebrate that we have been clothed in your righteousness. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.